In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' improved perimeter shooting of late, the frustration of the DeAndre Jordan minutes, and how both of those impact the upcoming playoff run. Also, one note, this podcast was recorded before the news broke that Matisse Thibel was ineligible to play in Toronto, uh, so that's why that is not brought up in this episode. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. How are you? Uh, fine is a perfect way to say it. And I think that's sort of how the Sixers are doing right now, too. They're doing fine. We don't want to overstate it. They're on a three-game winning streak, playing the Hornets, the Cavs, and the Pacers. So you don't want to make too much out of it. They have been three pretty, well, two, uh, one and a half pretty good wins, which I guess we'll get into. Um, but <laughs> yeah, they're one, fine. One and a half. That's the right number. They're, they're, they're winning these games. They are currently at 49-30. In a three-way tie for the second seed, second, third, and fourth seed with the Celtics and the Bucks, Still a lot left to see how that shakes out, especially because the Celtics play the Bucks on Thursday night. Unlikely to catch the Miami Heat, who are two and a half games above that trio, but they have a shot anywhere, a realistic shot anywhere from two through four. And I don't really want to play too much into the where do you want to see them finish thing? Who do you think would be the best first round matchup thing? What's the best pathway to the conference finals thing? Because quite frankly, we're going to have a much clearer picture of that here in a couple days uh, when the regular season ends on Sunday night. So we'll, we'll focus a lot here. Uh, try to keep this podcast pretty on point. Focus in on the previous two games against the Pacers. And the Cavs, maybe a little bit against the Hornets as well. Um, although I feel like we play... Uh, when did we do the last podcast? I don't even remember if we talked about the Hornets game. They fucking demolished them. End of discussion. We we talked about that game. That game was before the last podcast. Okay. okay. But the one that's most top of mind and probably the most relevant is the one against the Pacers here on Tuesday night. A real good second quarter. Maybe one of the best quarters of basketball I've seen this play, team play in a long time. Unfortunately, it was followed by the third quarter, uh, which, look, they ended up pulling out the win. You know, Joel Embiid came back into the game a little bit earlier than expected because DeAndre Jordan got ejected with a flagrant two and, for the most part, righted the ship. And, look, I think we're going to spend a decent amount of time here talking about a five-minute stretch in the third quarter or late third and early fourth when DeAndre Jordan was playing. It was yes. disastrous. I think it was what uh, sixteen to or eighteen to four advantage for the Pacers in like five minutes of play, something like that. Right, right around there, twelve or fourteen. I got outscored by in a span of five minutes. Sometimes single game plus minus, much less five minute plus minus, can be deceiving. That one, I'm not sure, really was, and it's triggered a lot of you know PTSD from Sixers fans. Can we start with the positive? Stuff yeah. first, though. That was an quick. incredible second quarter. It was an incredible second quarter. And I think when you look at this three game stretch, there are two takeaways. The, the negative one is the one that you just brought up because that also happened on Sunday night in Cleveland, the uh, DeAndre mess. The other one, which carried over more from the first game, the Charlotte win, they're bombing a bunch of threes against these bad teams. Now, yeah. does that mean. I expect them to turn into the Mori Ball Rockets right now. No, 
It's it, it doesn't because frankly, like the addition of Harden, if you look at the numbers, they're now a little above average in terms of frequency of three point attempts. That's pretty good. You would like it to be a little bit higher, even. That said, like some of this is just confidence to me, and the idea of the two guys in particular I'm thinking of, Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey, just seeing the ball go in a bunch over the past couple of nights, that needs to be some positive reinforcement that, hey, like we got to keep shooting these. Tyrese Maxey is shooting 43% from three right now. He absolutely needs to keep shooting these. And, uh, you know, like I, I thought Tobias said after the the first game when he was like, you know, I feel like I've been in a pretty good, pretty good rhythm recently. And he shot two for eight from three against the Bucks a, f- a few games ago. All of those were great looks. He needs to be getting up, yeah. you know, into the six to ten uh, shots per game, whether that's hunting them in transition or he doesn't really even need to hunt them because Harden and Embiid create them in their sleep and get them those shots. So, I mean, what, what do we have? 20, 20 threes and then 23 threes. Is that the, the number from the two games? Something like that. Yeah. Tw- yeah, they were 23 plus. for 40 last night. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So that's my overall positive takeaway. Like Tobias Harris last night did not make a two-point field goal. Yep. When is the last time he didn't make a two-point field goal and had a pretty efficient game because he was bombing threes? Um, you know, well, I, I just think that's overall how you have to look at, uh, that's that's how you have to approach it. Maxi dropped the 30 spot and he only made one two-point field goal. Uh, he was, you know, he had what I think, did he have all eight of the three threes in the first half or seven of the eight in the first half? Uh, something like that. First quarter, you mean? No, first half. There were 17 threes. No, no. Maxi had seven threes in the first half alone. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. he had seven he of his eight. And then he, he made one in the corner that put them over the franchise yeah. record. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think his previous career high was five. Uh, so, yeah, he was. And it's really just incredible to watch how he's making those like you know, step backs. I think you tweeted during the game. Is he the best step back shooter on a team with James Harden? And he's, he's not like, he can't create the space and he doesn't have the size that Harden has, but in terms of it going in the basket, he's pretty freaking good at it right now. Uh, and then he had a 20, like a 27 foot catch and shoot three. He had another catch and shoot three, a couple of corner threes. He's just confident from everywhere on the floor right now. And since James Harden w- made his Sixers debut. So we're talking a decent number of games now. He's shooting 49% from three on like a little over five attempts per game. It's just mind blowing. And look, we can talk about like, I'm going to still have my concerns that when Tobias Harris hits the shooting slump, that confidence is gone. Those yep. threes are gone. That's always going to be there until he, the way I wrote it today, he has to go, you know, two for 20 over a four game stretch and continue to the fire. And then I'll believe that Tobias Harris has turned a corner. Tyrese Maxey, I don't really have those reservations. A lot of the concern I had about him, you know, passing up a lot of open threes in the corner, even off ball right now, I feel pretty confident in him. And pretty much every thing that I worry about with him, he just erases over time with maybe the one exception of court vision, but he's playing alongside James Harden now. It's been, it's been fun to watch. It really has. Basket has to look like an ocean for him yeah. right now. Because every time he takes a three, I think it's going in. At this point, whether it's a step back, whether it's one of those catch and shoots from the corner. Yeah. And look, I mean, this is super exciting for his future because I think we said this towards the end of last year when he was starting to make some noise, like, are you going to be able to 
are you going to have to chase over the, the screen when he runs a pick and roll? Uh, yeah, it looks like you're going to have to chase over at some point here. So that's uh, that's a major positive. I agree with you on Tobias, too, because in both the Charlotte and the Indy games, he started the game red hot making those threes. Like, I want to see the game where he gets those two great looks from the corner and then he gets a third one after missing those two and continues to fire. That is uh, that is what you would want to see. But that's like, look, that's the ideal version of this Sixers offense. It's Harden and Embiid going near the basket in their own ways. Drives, post-ups, whatever. And it's everybody else standing outside the arc and bombing threes. And that's not to say Tobias can't uh, pump fake and go to the basket and get an easy one. And Maxi especially can't do that as well. But that's the goal. Like you want to to create kind of the the space, the offensive ecosystem. And look, Joel was playing against like a G League front court last yeah, night. Yeah. So of course he's going to put up his forty five points. But at some point, like the Sixers, you know, with the Pacers, with all of these crazy doubles, they started to pay a little bit more attention to the shooters, and that's when he started to just score pretty much every time down the court. That's sort of how you have to do it. Yeah, and a, a real. Odd game from James Harden, I'd say. You know, just four for 10 yeah. from the field for 11 points. Didn't get the free throw line a ton. Wasn't making his threes, but 14 assists, four turnovers. And, you know, quite frankly, if the shooters are going to shoot like that and they're going to play the, you know, defend the pick and roll like that, I'm okay. I don't, if, if again, if they're going to defend the pick and roll like that and Embiid's going to get those quality of shots and Tyrese Max is going to get those quality shots, I don't need James Harden to be gunning. Uh, my only concern is he had a couple of ISO attempts against Dwayne Washington Jr. who was on a two-way contract and couldn't get anywhere. Uh, and that anywhere. will continue to be a concern of mine. Not because necessarily you need that now against the Pacers, but you might need that later on against the Boston Celtics. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I don't want to harp too much on this because I feel like that was our entire podcast last time. I think by the day I become more and more convinced that the hamstring's pl- playing a significant part in that because some days he will look like he does have more burst. So I think there is a an argument, and again, we're going to fret over this a lot here in a couple of months when we don't have basketball to talk about it anymore, but I think there is an argument that you could see a better version of James Harden. That doesn't mean you're going to get back to even, certainly not as prime James Harden. That doesn't mean you're even going to get back to, you know, 14 months ago when he was playing at an MVP level, but you might get a better version than you're currently getting. But you do sort of have to figure out how to live with sort of the inconsistent burst James Harden that you're getting now. And uh, I think that's going to be something they have to solve because I don't know if it's going to get fixed here in the coming weeks. It's true. Uh, and I would say even in the the Hornets and the Indiana game when the Sixers scored a bunch of points and look, Harden did what he had to do. He, he set people up. He was, he was getting people great shots. But yeah, the concern of, eh, he's not getting by guys that he should be getting by is... Uh, it's certainly there, and uh, yeah, you're right. We don't need to harp on it too much right now. Let's uh, let's We're get into harp the on re- the other thing. <laughs> let's get into the real scar tissue. So, so my general thought on this is that I feel a little bit bad for DeAndre Jordan because he is being inserted into five years at least of just bad, bad memories for this franchise, for these fans. And he is the new backup center that is screwing things up right now. It's like, I'm not sure when he he took his buyout or, yeah, when he was released by the Lakers, whatever it was, and then he signed with the Sixers. 
that he knew he was getting into, you know, this amount of scar tissue, you know, this amount of bad feelings and, and a fan base that is more sensitive, rightfully so, by the way, about the backup center position than it has to be. They have to be more sensitive than any fan base in the history of basketball. I mean, they just do. It's been the story of this team in many ways over the, uh, yeah, over the past five years. That said, the past two games, and look, one of those was on a back-to-back, but even so, I mean, they're playing skeleton crew calves who, I know they're a playoff team, but come on. I mean, they just lost to the Magic last night. Like, they are, they might be the eighth seed by the end of this. And then Indiana, who is, like, literally just begging for their season to end. They have Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, and then they have a bunch of guys who are trying to carve out a niche in the NBA. The Sixers lost DeAndre Jordan's minutes by 20, his 19 minutes, by 23 points. Look, and, you know, I think I mentioned on the last pod or or one of the ones before that DJ's minutes looked worse than they actually were computing to be. Like the the on-off numbers were saying that, you know, the Sixers were playing at about break-even when he was on the court, but... I did mention that they looked worse than that. Like he looked worse and, and there was some worry. Um, that, that can't happen. Like that's, that's lighting the game on fire. What happened the last couple of nights. Yeah. And by the way, like th- to say like, Oh, it's not just his fault. You're right. It's not just his fault, but here's the problem. He's not helping anything that, that that's the big problem. And you saw it last night. You have bad defenders like Niang. You have bad defenders like Harden, especially. And you have a guy in DeAndre Jordan who is just wrong on defense, and he can't cover up for any of those mistakes ever. So that that is where I would um, jump off. I have a lot more thoughts on this as well, but yeah. it's yeah, it's a problem. To your point about DeAndre um, walking into a situation that wasn't entirely of his making, uh, and maybe not understanding the extent of it, uh, I thought Michael Levin put it perfectly uh, in a tweet promoting his podcast. Uh, Go check it out if you haven't heard of it. Right, RickySanchez.com. Uh, but he said, the fun annual podcast we do for no particular reason, the nine minutes played by the Sixers backup center that is ruining my life. And that is pretty well put for the entire fan base. Because if you didn't watch that game uh, the other night against the Pacers and think, oh my God, this is Greg Monroe, when everybody, you know, <laughs> I tweeted out that Monroe got ejected for the flagrant true, pretty much just to see the reaction from the fans. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, just Monroe, see, Monroe 2.0. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, about Jordan getting ejected only to see the reaction from the fans of, oh my God, thank you refs. I have never yeah. seen a fan base so happy that one of their players got ejected from the game because if Doc waits another minute and a half like he normally does to bring Joel in, they could have been trailing. Like they legitimately My, my went, mentions were like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were like, all right, we're going to win. Yeah. <laughs> they legitimately went from, what was it, a 23-point halftime lead? What was the high watermark? I think it was 20, like right 27. around there. Okay. Um, but I mean, look, and to Jordan's credit, like they had started to trail off even when Embiid was in there. I think it was down to like 16 point lead or something like that when Joel went to the bench. Bad but, overall late season defensive yeah, effort. But, but, but they might have been trailing by the time Joel came back in if they weighed another minute and a half. And look, and you're right. And I think you said it in your article over at The Athletic earlier today. There were definitely some miscommunications. One of them, he was trying to ice a ball handler on the side. It looked like, at least. I couldn't he couldn't really see him pointing anywhere, but 
That's he, my only explanation because he was playing it like that. He was icing it. You could, okay. I, I didn't have the audio on it, but you could hear. You could hear it. Okay. And then the other one where he called for a late switch, and I think it was Danny Green who didn't hear it, I guess, or maybe Danny Green thought there was no way they would be switching on that one. Uh, there was some miscommunication, but neither of those plays were ones he should have been necessarily out of. And it really shows that his ability to change direction is so non-existent <laughs> that like the one he just, he took one step in the wrong direction to ice pick and roll and he was completely out of the way. And there was a wide open lane to the, to the rim. It's unbelievable. He just can't move. And he, sometimes when he gets going, he can look normal, but like his change of direction is so painfully slow that he gives up everything. There is nothing he takes away on the basketball court on the defensive side of the floor, and that's supposed to be what he is there for. And they still, I forget if it's exactly, but he's something like the opponents are shooting 75% at the rim when he's on the floor. It's something in that range, bottom first percentile. I think the Sixers have like a 117 defensive rating when he's on the floor. And we're talking about a pretty decent sample size now. And to your point, the overall on-off numbers haven't been terrible because he's been playing alongside some pretty good offensive players. But you can't give up 117 points per 100 against backup units. It's not sustainable to keep doing that. And we're starting to see that now. Like you mentioned, he's, what, negative 19 over the last two games in very limited minutes, or negative, like, in 23 minutes or something of that sort. But that's uh, the point. They're very limited minutes. You shouldn't right. be losing by that right. much. And you're just at the point where I'm, I'm sort of making all these numbers up as I go, I don't have any of them written down, but I think they're all relatively close. Yeah, they are. You can't, this isn't against good teams. This is against dog shit teams for the most part. Bad teams, yeah. You do this against Toronto, you could be looking at a first round upset. You do this against Boston, you certainly could get your clock cleaned by a pretty good Boston team, especially if they get Robert Williams back. These are backup units that you should be demolishing because you have James Harden and a lot of talent to be able to stagger and you're losing to Pardon my French. Oh, let it fly. Come on. I, I don't. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say that hasn't been said. They and no matter what has happened, the only time that anyone other than DeAndre Jordan has gotten minutes as a backup center is either when Joel Embiid is out, or when Giannis is on the other side playing center with the second unit. And then the solution was to go play Paul Millsap. It's like. I, I so, so I'm looking at some of the stats. You are, you are correct. Uh, with the Sixers, opponents are shooting 76% at the rim against DeAndre Jordan. That is, uh, you gave him a little too much credit. That is the zero percentile. Is it the zeroth? I don't know, but whatever. I think technically there isn't a, a zeroth percentile. Um, I think I think Ben might need to fix that. But anyway, anyway. Okay. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana... 
Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada, 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, so that's bad. And uh, I think if you, you know, if we, we've talked about this, how they split the stagger up over time. Like they, they started with this Harden-Harris stagger and put Jordan in that one. And then for a couple of games, they went with the Harris Maxi stagger with uh, with Jordan, which led to the Paul Millsap debacle when they inserted him into that game. Um, so here's the real one though that I think like they're back to Harden and uh, and Harris with DJ James Harden and DeAndre Jordan without Joel Embiid. So that's like, I'm just assuming those, these are all backup minutes, uh, 234 possessions minus 16.5 points per hundred possessions. The maxi Harris one, or, uh, Harris ones worked. Now maybe that was just a fluke. Those were West coast road trip games. That's no good. And it's exactly the fear I had when, and look, I take no pleasure in saying this, but we said this the second they signed him. I thought this was 2019 all over again. I thought this had a chance to be a big fucking problem. Um, and it, it sure looks like it because that's just, you're not even getting a chance. And that's not all on Jordan. Some of that is Harden. Without Embiid, the playmaking matters less and you need to be more of a scorer with that second group. And frankly, like we've said, like he does not have the juice to carry those groups. Um, so yeah, it's uh it's just not a great thing. And like you said, too, like, I think, I think Charles Bassey at this point is being held up by this fan base as like a cross between, not, let's just, he's just like the new Hakeem Olajuwon. Like, so the Sixers right now on their roster, they have Hakeem Olajuwon 2.0 starting, and then they have 1.0 playing for the Blue Coats in the G League. That's how much he is being pumped up. And I get it. He's scoring a billion points in the G League. Man, do I not really care that much about the G League and and scoring points when you look at a lot of the guys who who the leaders are. I, I respect the hell out of the grind of that league, but it just doesn't translate to the level where I'm going to automatically pencil him in. That said, to not even give that guy a chance, like like I think Doc said right after they were um right after DJ was acquired, like he's like, "Yeah, we'll we'll mix and match. We'll see how this works." There has been no mixing and matching. DeAndre Jordan came here and it was, here you go. You have the job. No, no merit, no nothing. And it's just, it's infuriating because the type of mistakes that he makes, he's out of position. He's like you said, his recovery, like defense at the center position is about covering up for other people's mistakes. And sometimes your mistakes. That's what Joel Embiid does. Joel Embiid takes a half step in the wrong direction. He gets back in the play and makes these crazy blocks. DeAndre Jordan takes, like, not even a half step, a quarter step in the wrong direction. It might as well be three steps yeah. because they're just walking right down the lane. And, and my my question is just, 
who cares if he's a veteran if he's making rookie mistakes? That's the thing, right? Because like I think you see in a lot of cases, coaches will say, I just want the guy who I know is going to be standing in the right spot. Maybe he doesn't have the athleticism of the younger player. Maybe he doesn't have the talent of the younger player. But the downside risk is lower. I don't think this is a scenario of that. I think he's making all of the downside issues uh, yeah, yeah. show up. So the, there's no good reason for him to be playing. There's the, the exact way I phrased exactly what you were talking about in my article after they signed him was that I'm not sure I see Jordan's veteran presence carrying much tangible benefit, just the lack of mobility that comes with aging and an undeserved level of trust from the coaching staff because of his birth certificate. He's just old and slow and the coaching staff intrinsically trusts him too much. That's what we've got here. And look, I agree with you. Bassie's putting up absurd stat lines right now. Wilt level stat lines in the G League. <laughs> Does Wilt that mean Bassie. he's ready? That's what we should call him. No, I put more stock in the week he was up here in November or October or whatever that was than I do in whatever he's doing in the G League right now. But you're not getting reliable play from the guy who's playing eight minutes per game right now anyway. You're not, nope. you're not like, could he catch the lobs that DeAndre's catching? Yes. Could he make the same mistakes that DeAndre's making? Yes. At least he has a chance <laughs> to recover. I, I don't, I just, I, I don't, every, look, people, I get a ton of comments on Twitter, on Discord, on uh, Reddit. Why aren't you, why aren't you asking about Doc about the backup center? It's like, we ask a variation of a backup center question almost every game. And Doc responds in various different ways, but it's always some version of, well, he thinks he's playing well. He's playing good enough. He's comfortable with them, blah, 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 blah. And I think people just want us to be like, Doc, you're an idiot. People want us to say that. Like, what's your question? Doc, you suck. (laughs) I have no question. Like, or whatever. And that's just not how it works, You're you're not going to get him to change who he puts in the game or give you a real answer. We, We ask some variation almost every game ultimately comes down to Doc's own evaluation of his options. And he just trusts old people too much. Way I don't, too much. I don't know what to say. He can't play. He, there's no way DeAndre Jordan can play in the playoffs. So there's no way. And for them to have gone here the last, what, 35 games since it, when was the trade deadline? How many? No, it's 20, 23 games. Well, or there's so. 23 that Harden has played, but there are a couple more. So it might be like 27 or 28 games that they it's, would have had. It, a- it was one third of the season. Exactly. Okay. So it's, I think it's, okay. I think it's only been 23. Okay. So well, far. But yeah, it doesn't matter for them. That's a lot of games. They had a lot a- of runway to try out different things. And they tried out Paul Millsap for like four games and then DeAndre Jordan for the rest. And it's just like, that's going to hurt you in the playoffs. That's going to hurt you in the playoffs. And it's, you know, we, we talked about not, remember how like, the lack of experimentation with the small ball lineups sure. were a big talking point last year. All right. Now it's like, now it's just like with doc, people are okay with you playing a traditional center. Cause they think you have one in Bassey. And I will say it's been, been brought up on Twitter. My, uh, my video tweet from, I believe it was the Denver game in November. It was November 18th, 2021. And doc after Bassey played really well in that game, he said, yeah, you rarely see a rookie five calling, calling out, out coverage, yep. calling switch. He's been coached well. And he, you know, he gave credit to Dwayne Jones and Jason Love, two assistant coaches. And he said, for about a week, they've been saying, like, he's ready. I'm telling you, like, he can handle this. And 
That was, of course, a game in which Andre Drummond got roasted by Nikola Jokic in the first quarter about as bad as I've ever seen. First half. I think it was 25 points on like eight shots or something like that. He was destroying uh, Drummond. And they put Bassey in and it got better. Was that maybe Jokic running out of fumes a little bit? Sure. But, you know, look, the numbers say that Bassey has been, like, the, the Sixers haven't been as bad as Bassey as they've been with um, with DJ. Like, just, if you feel, especially if you filter out the garbage time minutes that Bassey's played, like, I, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's it, it's just a huge mistake to not even try him. And, and because you knew, like, look, we said this, DeAndre Jordan has been a bad basketball player for like five or six years. <laughs> yeah. He's been a bad basketball player at every single stop. He's been a bad basketball player for teams that are trying to win. So, like, I don't know. It's bad. And and you have the same situation as 2018-19 where, like, if if you play him 8 to 10 minutes a game, you're probably spotting the other team 8 to 10 points. It's a really hard way to win. It's really hard. Uh I don't know what the other solutions are at this point. Like, I think, you know what my guess is? Ultimately, I think they're just going to play small. Yeah. And well, say, I screw think, it. I think they're going to, tr- the first couple games in a series are probably going to trot Jordan out there. And then when that predictably doesn't work, they'll go small. And this isn't really a team that can go small. Um, I don't know what you're going to do on the glass if you go small too much. But if no, you're not I mean, going to play either the two young guys, then that's the only real chance you have. When you have a backup unit with Niang and Danny Green, like again, these guys are are decent players, but they're they're not great athletes, and they're especially poor rebounders. No, Dennis so, Rodman, they are not for sure. No, um, so and the Sixers guy, I will say that the rebounding has gotten better as a team. That's the thing. It's like that was another talking point for DJ. Well, at least he'll improve the rebounding, and their rebounding has gotten a little bit better. Since uh, since Harding came over, you know it's part of the reason their rebounding's gotten better because all the other team's shots are going in when DJ plays. <laughs> That's why it got better. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 rough, man. I don't I don't know what to say. It sucks. They they, they they're literally going to have to do work around this again. And it's you know it's one thing to stick with somebody like Drummond, who's the veteran, like somebody who's in his prime and can move a little bit. And has some signs of life, but this is just so bad. This is so unimaginative, and it's. I, look, I think every minute he plays in the playoffs, unfortunately, he seems like an awesome guy. It's just going to be terrifying. It's going to oh, no. be terrifying, and it's going to. It's probably going to end poorly. And he the, has the fact- absolutely taken over the Tobias Harris role of great guy, just not playing well enough. Uh, yeah. And Tobias right now is filling his role and, and and slotting in however they need him and making his shots and taking his shots and. Is he worth his contract? No, but we don't no. even really have to bring up that he's a nice guy anymore. We just say, hey, he's he's playing his role pretty well now. DeAndre Jordan, nice guy, seems like a good locker room presence. You you, you need someone who can actually defend a pick and roll though too. It's brutal. I mean, I I cannot emphasize enough just how slow he is on some of these uh, on some of these rotations. He's just out of the picture. I I've never well, seen and as many like easy straight line yeah. drives with them when this guy's in the game and he's playing with Harden who can't get around a screen and who sucks at defense. But you knew this when you signed him. Yeah. You knew you had to like err on the side of defense and you didn't. Ah. <laughs> yeah. And look, I don't know. And, and people always ask like, 
what other options. It's a fair point. There weren't a ton. I, I think one of our, our good friends brings it up, and I agree. Devin Eubanks might have been someone to take a shot on. Um, he was on a couple of 10 days with Portland, and I think now he's on the rest of the season. But would have taken a shot on, on him. Or I just would have played the two young guys and seen whether or not, you know, kept Millsap. You had Millsap already on the roster. That's your small ball option. Played Bassey and Reed, see if either one of them could be counted on a little bit because you knew, at least with Bassey and Reed, there was a chance they could have surprised you. The book was out on DeAndre. Like I didn't, like you said, he's been on contenders for the last couple of years with elite shot creators who were spoon feeding him just enough shots to make him look like he was relevant well beyond his point of expiration as an NBA player. And the book was out. None of those teams wanted them because he's atrocious on defense. He's not just bad on defense. He is atrocious. And to trot him out there, like defense is the reason that he's worthwhile playing. I don't know if Doc is just so far removed from his deficiencies or if he is just so dug in on not playing young players. It's unbelievable. It's holy shit. He's not a, he's not a good defense. Doc has to see this. And, Dan Burke, we have video evidence that Dan Burke sees this. I don't, I don't get it. Why would he even try to ice that pick? He can't get back and recover. Even if he was calling that out, it wasn't the right call. He shouldn't be doing it. Anyway, anyway. I mean, he shouldn't be doing it. He shouldn't be that far up at the level of the screen. Like, I don't know what is going on there. It's, uh, look, I, look, Doc, the joke with him has always been that he loves the Eastern Conference All-Stars from, 2009 yeah. that was the joke when deandre was like in his prime with the clippers and they would sign big baby and josh smith and all these bums who were past their prime uh this is the sixers version of that and like look the only other guy that he is playing right now is paul Millsap. so you know he just looks at their age and says okay i'd rather deal with uh with the older player it's it's indefensible um the center position, I, I know watching Embiid, Rondo the other night with a lustful eye. Probably, yeah. I mean, he would be playing like over Maxi probably if he was here. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, that might be a little bit too far, but yeah, I, I, I got you. But just Certainly a little over Shake. Yeah, well, I don't want to get into that. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, Embiid and Jokic, obviously, what's amazing about them is that they've vaulted to the top of the MVP rankings because of their offense. This position fundamentally is, it's like being a catcher in baseball. If you are bad at defense, you're not that valuable at it. You're just not. And that's why the defensive player of the year and the metrics will tell you, it's always Rudy Gobert or some shot blocking big man like Joel. All right. Well, this guy is the opposite of that, unfortunately. And, uh, and he does not have the offensive value that he once did. It's, uh, it's bad. They they should have played like look, they should have played Charles Bassey a long time ago. I, I don't know if he would have been the savior. I certainly think uh asking a rookie to be stress tested in the playoffs by the likes of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat would have been a difficult ask. But man, that seems like a much better path than the one they're going down right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um I swear, people just see somebody without the talent to be an offensive player and assume he's a defensive player. And DeAndre's big and well, big, so I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't get how that reputation still persists. I don't get it. Anyway, pivoting off of Doc, report from old 
Liberty Ballers colleague Jake Fisher, or now over at Bleacher Report, that the if the um, Lakers do move on at coach, Doc Rivers could be a candidate. I believe he also then <laughs> said that Doc Rivers could be under consideration for the Jazz job if that opens up as well. Thoughts, Rich? So, good on Jake for getting that report. It's one of the 800 things he's gotten right in the past calendar 12 months. Like, I think he has settled into, I think, a very good role for him. Yeah. He's done real well. Uh, There was buzz about that in LA when I was out there a couple of weeks ago. Like, Lakers, kind of people around the Lakers saying, hey, when Vogel is not the coach of this team anymore because their season has been over for a long time. And by the way, the one shining moment video of the, the Lakers, very funny NBA Twitter thing, by the way. <laughs> um, but they knew their season was already over at that point, And people were wondering like, who could their next coach be? And the two names that were brought up were Quinn Snyder and Doc Rivers. So that's been out there for a while. And, you know, I, I think, I haven't paid that much attention to the Utah Jazz situation, except I know they're like a, a mess, <laughs> a complete mess. And people are tweeting out the Donovan Mitchell pass numbers to Rudy Gobert. They're not a lot. It doesn't pass them a lot, Derek. I actually don't think that's the biggest deal in the world, but I, I do think it's pretty funny. Uh, no, I think the biggest deal in the world is that they've stagnated for the last X number of years and that they're trailing right now. And that they're passive aggressive and they don't really like yeah. each other, too. They, they, there's a lot of things that, that, are going on with that team. Uh, but obviously like Quint Snyder is sort of in a similar situation to doc where it doesn't look like it's going to be like a championship parade in Utah this, uh, this summer, just like, unfortunately I'm not sure it's going to be a championship parade in Philadelphia this summer either. And you have guys who are accomplished coaches kind of thought of um, for probably different reasons. I think Doc's reputation has probably taken a pretty big hit, I would say, over the past couple of years just as an on-court coach because you can only blow so many leads before that starts to catch up with you. Uh, but, like, the Lakers, from a common-sense standpoint, like, they're not going to take David Blatt to be their coach. Right. They're going to need somebody with some sort of cachet. Uh, and so Quint Snyder and Doc Rivers, for different reasons, seem like people who would do it. Obviously, Doc likes his golf. He's, he's lived in L.A. before, I think. He probably still does live out there in the offseason. Um, I actually don't know that. But, you know, if the Sixers are potentially looking to move on and are sick of, of him for different reasons, like, it seems like at least a possibility to take note of, like, at least. Like, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. You know, maybe the Sixers have a better playoffs than imagine. Maybe Doc says, I'd rather coach the Sixers because, like, as much as he wants to live in L.A., that Lakers situation is bad. And it's just that roster. I'm not sure how that's going to get better, but I do think it's something to file away and think like, Hey, like would I be stunned if he was the coach of the Lakers next year? No, I don't think I would be. Just pull up an article from the LA times that looks like doc sold his Malibu mansion for 12.25 million back in 2020. When he took the Sixers up, he might have multiple properties. I don't know, uh, but he might not have a, uh, vacation resort in LA as of now. I agree with you. I don't know why an established coach would take that job right now. And nine times out of 10, I would say, yeah, they'd have interest just because of LeBron James. Mm -hmm. This is the one instance where LeBron James ain't enough. Like that team is a freaking mess. I, yeah. I, and look, 
maybe if something if something were to happen where Doc would be let go if with a wildly disappointing run here, maybe he'd consider it. But at that point, like, don't you just take a couple like he has three years left on his contract right now. Don't you just say, like, I'm gonna go play some golf and we'll see what happens in a couple of years here. That's I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people thought he was gonna do that when he lost the Clippers job. Though. True, true. It is a kind of industry where you take three years off, you could come back and just find out nobody's interested in you anymore. Um, you can, people move on pretty quickly in this industry. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah. It is interesting to hear that they would have interest in him. We will see, uh, we'll see how that all shakes out. There's a lot of things that would have to happen here over the next six weeks or so. Well, he certainly, ha- it, it's the same thing we, uh, we said when he took the Sixers job, everybody's like, well, he, he knows how to handle big personalities. And it's like, eh, like, <laughs> Yeah, like the building doesn't burn down, but it's not like they win anything with the, <laughs> with these guys, and it it usually ends with some some bitter feelings. I would say at least in a couple cases with Doc. Uh, so I don't know. And by the way, like you don't have to like read between the lines too much. When Harden has a stink bomb, like some of these comments Doc makes after the game are they're they're pretty interesting. I know the the Sixers try and jump in front of that, but. You know, when he says stuff like, you know, we really got to drive as a team to not get fouled. We got to try and drive to score. Yeah. He's not talking. He's not talking about Tobias Harris. Or like. I wish he was. Or the bench. You know, it's they didn't get a lot of shots. That was, you know, a lot of James taking the shots, which, by the way, that one was true in that instance. But, you know, uh, it's, it certainly raised some eyebrows. So, yep. yeah. All right, so we have, where did my schedule go? I lost my schedule. I got it. It's Toronto tomorrow night, and then it's Detroit and Indiana at home. 1 p.m. on Saturday, and then 7 p.m. on Sunday. Is that right? Yeah, business person special on Saturday again. Two in a row. We'll take it. And, uh, yeah, and then a Sunday night game. And I was, you know, it's funny. I was wondering why they did the late night game on Sunday, but it's because, uh, they want the Sixers and Celtics to play at the same time, so there's no resting shenanigans. If you know what seed you would get with the uh, with the outcome, so okay. There probably will be resting shenanigans in one way or another, but at least like it's not like a lock. Like, hey, right. we got to do everything we can lose to lose this game because then we get to play Chicago. Three games left as of right now. Joel Embiid is the scoring leader uh, in the NBA um, right now. LeBron James does he need what one or two more games to qualify? Two he more. Is not currently I think LeBron's going to be out of it. I think yeah. LeBron's out of it. And then Giannis is, what, maybe about a half point behind Embiid? Which, maybe which a is a lot. Than that, which is a lot. So it looks like Joel will lock that up first. Center to win that scoring title since Shaq. Uh, so good for him. May not get MVP. May not even get first team all NBA, but will get a scoring title out of it. While being one of the five most impactful defenders. Ugh, poor Great guy. season for Joel. Weird NBA rules, but... You know what would be funny? I mean, obviously, he would never do this if he won the scoring title and they did like an MVP type ceremony with the scoring title. Like, is there even a trophy for the scoring title? Like before the second game of the playoffs, kind of Iverson-esque, where he gives a speech and he he raises the scoring title with the crowd going crazy. That would be both uh, both funny and, and kind of ridiculous. But uh, I don't know. I, I just I just feel bad for Joe. He deserves a trophy of some sort. He deserves some sort of individual accolade and we'll see. I, I have noticed the, uh, you know, like the, the narrative based think thinkers, I would say have, have taken note of his 
45 point games over the past couple of nights. By the way, completely bailed them out of that game in Cleveland. Yeah. Yep. They had no business winning that game. And by the way, even though they didn't play that well in that game as a team and DeAndre was bad, all of those things, that was the second game of a back to back. So I'm not. Yep. And they're playing just a ton of games down the stretch. But that's the other reason this sucks for Joe because he's played in 57 of the team's last 60 games. The only reason he's missed games this year, any sort of games that would disqualify him, is because he got COVID for three weeks. And here he is in game 78 on the second night of a back-to-back, and he's the best guy on the team by a mile. He has done everything in his power to to win that award. Uh, And look, I don't, uh, I'm not, I won't begrudge anyone for voting for either Jokic or Giannis. They're both very much deserving. Um, But he has certainly done everything in his power to to qualify for it, there's just there's two other incredible players right now playing at the peak of their their abilities um, on really good teams. So props to them, uh, but I would like to see Joel get it in part just because he hasn't gotten it. The other two have in part because he is me, me too. Um, you know, playing at that level, and you would like to see that that get rewarded. But I don't. I'm I'm with you. I don't think he will. I don't think it will. I don't think he will, but like, let's say, let's say he scores 40 points in the last three games and they get the two seed, which by the way, if they get the two seed, they might get Brooklyn in that first round. So it might not be good for the playoffs, but you know, they win the last three games and they get the two seed. Who knows? Maybe he can swing it and he can get a bunch of votes and it'll be like, uh, you know, it'll be like a, a Gore versus Bush recount or something like that at the end of it, you know? All right. I think that's a, a good enough place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.